Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump and at widemencantjump.com. Here's the best pod in sports, bringing you all the NBA highlights, analysis, and even some college basketball analysis as well. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New and cambay.com. You can find this show at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find podcasts, as well at widemencantjump.com. Now let's go to the flagship program and this episode of Wide Men Can Jump. It is Wednesday night and we are back after a little bit of technical difficulty and we're finally back in the saddle here and waiting on my co-host tim he should be joining me anytime uh we have got an absolute jam packed evening for you tonight as we're looking at we've got three or four different guests jumping on with us to talk hoops tonight from all different sources uh, Chris Walder from the score up in Toronto will be talking the Raptors with us and their series coming up with the Philadelphia 76ers. Scott Agnes jumps on from the Athletic in Indiana. He'll be talking about the Pacers season as they fall short in the first round, getting swept uh, for nothing. And then David Brandon will call in live from the Daily Thunder and he'll talk with us about the series between the Thunder and the Blazers and that amazing ending to the series last night in Portland as Damian Lillard hits a shot from near half court and then waves goodbye to the Thunder. All that and so much more, but we couldn't have this show if it wasn't for our wonderful sponsors. And let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor, the Law Offices of Stephen P. New. Personal injury, product liability, workplace accidents, mesothelioma law, social security disability, unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, and more. All this can be handled at New Law Office with Stephen P. New. It's New Law Office with Stephen P. New. You can get your free consultation today by calling 1-800-208-9169 or 304-362-7345 for your free consultation a new level of personal service. Whether you've been injured or facing divorce or experiencing workplace discrimination, you can rely on compassionate, thorough representation from New Law Office. Be sure to contact Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com or again, get your free consultation at 1-800-203-9169. Stephen P. New, answers to your legal questions. And that's from the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com. Check them out for all your legal consultations. You need a good lawyer. Stephen P. New's the guy, newlawoffice.com. Well, it has been an insane week and basketball all over the place. We've got games tonight. Let's go ahead and take a look at those before we get to some of our talks here. Um, The games tonight almost look like the series is basically over. However, it is the NBA, and anything can happen. 
the Utah Jazz are about to play the Houston Rockets in game five from Houston. Uh, that game's slated to tip here any minute now. The nightcap, the Clippers will take on the Golden State Warriors. Both series are 3-1. Houston leads the Jazz 3-1. The Warriors and Clippers, uh, the Warriors lead 3-1 over the Clippers. Um, so those are two series right now. I assume those series are both going to wrap up wrap up tonight, Game 5 being in Houston and in Golden State. Uh, I think both teams seal the deal tonight. Uh, not sure what the line on the games is, but I think Utah, uh, they got their win in the last game. Looked good doing it against the Rockets. They had they did a great job. Uh, Harden did not shoot a lot of free throws, hence uh, the Rockets uh, lose. So that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, if you can keep him off the line, normally you can win. That's pretty much how it goes with James Harden. Always has been that way. Um, he is a great shot taker and a shot maker. But um, L.A., the Clippers, uh, had a great series for the Clippers just to get one from Golden State. And they've been it's been an interesting series, but I think tonight's the night it ends. And we'll probably see Houston and Golden State head to the second round. They'll join Portland more than like, you know, of course, anything can happen, but Portland waiting on the winner of the Nuggets-Spurs series. Um, that series is 3-2. Denver picked up the big win last night. And I'll go ahead and look at that game while I wait on my co-host from the great – uh, the great country of Canada. He's having a little technical issue, so uh, we'll try and get him on as soon as we can. He messaged me and let me know that he's uh, he's having a little trouble. But the Nuggets win 108-90 to last night at home. That's such a tough place to play. Uh, look at the scores here. Paul Millsap finished with 14-6. and Nokic had 16-11, and 11, uh, 16 points, 11 rebounds. Gary Harris with 15. Jamal Murray, 23 Malik Beasley had 11. Uh, Monte Morris finished with 10. Will Barton had 17 last night. And, man, oh, man, the defense was on. Jamal Murray, plus 33 in the plus-minus. Millsap, plus 31. Jokic, plus 27. So, a good night uh, for the Nuggets. They even got to play uh, Torrey Craig quite a few minutes as he had uh, 10 rebounds himself last night. So he had a nice little night as well, finished at plus five. On the other side, if you're a Spurs fan, Aldridge, 17 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, shot the ball fairly well, 7 to 13, but he's got to shoot more. He's got to shoot more than just 13 shots. DeRozan had 17, 6 of 15 from the floor. That's not going to cut it. Um, Forbes just had a terrible night shooting the ball, 1 of 6, only 4 points. Uh, Derek White did not have the game that we've come to expect from him in the playoffs. He only ended up with 12, 5 of 11 shooting from the floor, 1 of 3 from the free throw line. So not exactly the best night for him. He and Rudy Gay both finished at minus 20. Aldridge led the way, though, minus 26 in the plus minus. So not a good night for the Popovich-led Spurs team. And uh, so that that is a a recap of that game. Game six, if I'm not mistaken, will be tomorrow night on TNT. And we'll see the Nuggets and Spurs as the Nuggets look to close it out in San Antonio. Uh, Can they do it? Yes. Will they do it remains to be seen. The Spurs, that's a very interesting first-round series that I've been looking forward to. So we'll see how that game turns out. And I hope to get Tim's thoughts when I get him on. I'm going to try and get him back on the show here. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with his – 
with with his uh, connection, but he's really had a a struggle here getting onto the show. Apparently, there's a uh, a rough time here, but we'll we'll see if we can get him on and see if maybe we can get this this glitch worked out. But while we wait on Tim, one of my other co-hosts did stop by earlier today, and I was able to talk to T.R. himself, the man, the myth, the legend, T.R. Shock, as he stopped by and talked with me about the 76ers and about what's going on here in the league. So we'll get to that right now, and you'll hear from T.R. and myself to kind of kick off the show here. And hopefully when I get back, we'll have Tim on standby. So uh, we'll roll to that right now. But we all know what that music means. It's the return, ladies and gentlemen, again. T.R. Shock, Tom Robinson, back on the show to break down what's going on in the NBA. T.R., welcome back, buddy. What's happening, my man, Nate? We're, uh, we are now clear as to the semifinals in the Eastern Conference, which... Considering the Victor Oladipo injury, we pretty much knew anyway. But uh, it's good to see the best four teams there. Yeah, absolutely. The best four teams are there in the East, as uh, it's been clearly stated. The West still has a little bit to shake out. Uh, Still some games going on there, but we can almost guess who will be there. Um, The only series in the first round that's still kind of up for debate, I would say, would be that Nuggets-Spurs series. But um, I think Denver will take care of it in game six. But uh, your Philadelphia 76ers, they got a little bit of a scare in the in the first game out of Brooklyn. Uh, but then they win four straight to put the Nets out. Not quite uh, the exciting series we were hoping, but, man, fireworks all over the place. Butler getting tossed. Embiid's got a couple flagrant fouls. And those flagrants could come into play once they play the Raptors in round two. Two more flagrants. Embiid is suspended for one game. Yeah, he, you know, those fouls are huge um, going forward. Um, the one that set off the Jared Dudley, Jimmy Butler gimmick. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I think that was just a hard, it was definitely just a foul in the 80s, but we're not playing in the 80s, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was a flagrant. <laughs> I, I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's not a flagrant. He was going for the ball, looked like a foul. Uh, tempers flared because of uh, comments that have been made all over, especially in that game. I believe that was game uh, four where Jared Dudley had made the comments that Ben Simmons uh, was a great transitional player, but in the half court he was just average. Uh, and Ben Simmons went off that game, uh, 30 points, I believe, and just big win for the Sixers there. Yeah, uh, it's like – in the beginning of Ben Simmons, when you know I heard about this phenom coming out of high school and then LSU, et cetera, every time I would watch him, he would just be such a lack, such a lax, eh, lackadaisical player. If LSU had a high-profile game against Kentucky or Duke or I don't think they played Duke, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, and he'd kind of just disappear, and he's he's carried that over, but. Apparently, if you challenge him and you publicly humiliate him, like you know, put signs on telephone poles and so forth. Uh, <laughs> that's how you get to him, you know. 
I want to be a fan of his, but I, you know, he's done so much that I've seen as a Philadelphian tells me he's not the player that the national media want to put him over as that it's frustrating. You know, uh, I come on here with a negative tone usually and go on my rants but I'm at the end of the day, which is the most overused, uh, saying in sports at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, I'm a Sixers fan and I want them to hell. I want them to win an NBA title. But I want it my way. I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of immature, I, I guess. Old, but I just can I use an old uh, cliche? If you want to have your cake and eat it too, that's that's perfect. Uh, you know, oldie but goodie and very to the point. Yeah. I want Ben Simmons to pull up and take a jumper. I want him to take a ten footer, and even if he misses it, I want him to do it and us to win. But he still refuses to do such things such crazy fundamental basketball things and uh you know a lot of the town blames that on brett brown a lot of it blame it on ben simmons i don't know i don't know who to blame but i don't want to sound well, like I the Grinch. Know. go ahead oh okay. i was just gonna say chris walder and i from uh he's from the score up in toronto he was talking about how the sixers have the ability to sometimes beat themselves with um, all the extracurricular activity and all the egos on that team, Brett Brown does not have this team mentally, I don't think, ready for a run. I don't think they're mentally prepared because they are still getting very, very I – mean, and I love chippy basketball. I'm not complaining about it. I actually like that they're showing some fire. But I felt that they were more so out looking for it than they were just firing back. So maybe that's just me. Maybe, I don't think their mind's right for this run, and I think their their bench is going to hurt them, in my opinion. I think their their lack of depth on the bench is really going to be a factor when considering Toronto. We'll probably lose game one, but um, Toronto will be very deep, and especially if they get OG Ananobi back. Well, uh the Toronto series is interesting, but I, I mean, I should, I should uh, go backwards for one second and say congratulations, Philadelphia 76ers, on a five-game gentleman's sweep, if you will, and a, a blowout fashion, which I was certain that that New Jersey would come <laughs> to play, do do mostly because of the fan base and the radio hosts and and even Joel Embiid uh, and Jimmy Butler nationally mocking them in a press conference saying we're not going to mocking at the same time uh, uh, who, who, he compared it to LeBron coming back on the Warriors correct yeah the Warriors he said, yeah we, we don't want to we don't want to be the Warriors and uh, I got a, I actually got a kick out of that I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah and it is and he does produce when he's on the court he used to say things like that to you know me because I'm thinking who the hell are you you sit out every other game but He's a monster. There's no denying it. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of the dichotomy between him and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is not a monster. Ben Simmons can just disappear. And I expect with Kai, uh, <clears throat> Kawhi Leonard in the upcoming series that this is a prove-it-to-me-Ben kind of thing, and you don't have to prove it to me. I'm just a fucking regular guy who talks on the radio or podcast with you. But – 
prove it to everybody. Prove it to the world now that you're on a national stage. Just don't be a sports center highlight of Duncan and your look-away pass when you're minus 15 at the end of the game and your team won. And that's that's my beef. Like, Joel is cocky, and so is Ben in his own quiet, one-word response way. But Ben, you know, when the times are tough, he kind of, like, looks to hide as opposed to a guy who will step up. And I think, I think this series is going to be – I mean, in the ideal world, the Sixers would grow if Fantasyland from a Philadelphian, if they beat Toronto and beat Boston. I mean, no matter what they did in the finals with the Warriors, in my opinion, but, you know, whoever's there to meet them, if they could beat those two teams just from a mental standpoint and from a Ben Simmons um, playing through the, the – the, the soft defense and the daring them to shoot and, the, you know, the, the Brad Stevens mentality, which made him score a whopping one point last year in that, in that one playoff game. If he can grow and he can, and he can like a flower, will he bloom or will he will? I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, while we got a minute here, because uh, I do want to circle back to this, but I do want to bring up, you and I both had the Oklahoma City Thunder going far, but, uh, we talked off air a little bit about uh, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and if you'd have told me before this series that the Portland Trailblazers, without uh, Yusuf Nurkic, would be able to beat the Thunder four to one, I'd have called you crazy. But they did uh, last night. Damian Lillard, with the shot heard around the world uh, at one o'clock in the morning here on the East, and man, oh man, the Thunder. Um, you and I left with a little egg on our face. I still think they're better than what they portrayed. I thought Russell Westbrook had an all, uh, an off uh, playoffs, didn't play that great, and that's on him. And that's also could be on the coaching. But what do you think, Thunder? Did we maybe overhype them a little bit, or do you think maybe they just underachieved? Uh, I think it's somewhere, maybe option C, where personality conflicts or uh, maybe Paul yeah. George's stripper stripper girlfriend is uh, mad at them or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you got Billy Donovan definitely on a hot seat right now because, Oh yeah. You know, uh, when Nurkic goes down at that point, I said, oh, that's a shame much like Oladipo, you know, um, the Pacers and the Trailblazers, to me, were pretty much done at that point. But no, uh, Damian Lillard, year after year, shows you why he's a top 10 without question NBA player, possibly higher. Um, but he has very little exposure. And I mean, I, think I, I, I hate to go back to good old gentle Ben, but, you know, if if you put the jersey sales out there, I'm sure Ben Simmons is tripling Damian Lillard. And if you put the ESPN highlights, well, ESPN treats Damian pretty fair. But, you know, a case of two players, I, I don't care how many years he's been in the league, I'd take Damian Lillard in a heartbeat over Ben turning around and throwing it to somebody to shoot. But, <laughs> you know, the nation, the nation of zombies, well, oh, he's 6'10", and he can do everything. And when he develops a win, they say, he develops a jump shot a la Jason Kidd or Magic Johnson. And, you know... Magic Johnson, let's be real, when he did learn to shoot a little bit, looked like he was throwing a fucking shot put. It wasn't exactly the prettiest jumper. Granted, some of them went in. No. But, yeah, not um, at all. I mean, even Sean Marion learned to shoot. And, uh, 
with that ugly smile well, probably, and then he made that it. shot was ugly. Yeah, I mean, besides Markel Fultz, I think Marion gets the all-time uh, ugliest delivery. But yeah, Fultz, I got rid of one problem with Fultz. I got rid of him, so we don't need to bring him back up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's hard for people probably listening to this to think that I support my team and support Ben Simmons. I do. I, I just want a couple possessions in a row, one for him to drive, go over somebody dunk, one for him to just pull up and take a 10-footer. That's all I want. rest of the game he can do is dumb shit. But as far as the rest <laughs> of the team, you mentioned you mentioned a lack of depth. Uh, depth. Um, that's a Brett Brown thing partially because you got a guy like Mike Scott who, you know, comes in as the third wheel from the Clippers and hits the game-winning yeah. shot essentially. Um game, whatever number that was, the three-pointer. I think the right combo, they, they could be all right with a nine-man rotation, but I don't know who that nine is. And Brett Brown should because he's making the big bucks. And I, I just don't – I think there is a combination of, of a nine-man rotation there. I just don't know who they are. Well, I mean, you do get shorter, smaller rotations during the playoffs – the Sixers are very top-heavy, and that's what worries me about about them if you're a Sixers fan. Reddick's going to Reddick's gonna come in, and, and J.J. Reddick, if he's going to score, he's going to have to show up and score. And you mentioned the legs, and they, they get tired. He looked good in round one. We'll see about round two. Tobias Harris has been kind of a hit or miss. If he's on, he's on. If he's not, he's not. Jimmy Butler, some people are calling Jimmy Butler now the best role player in the league. Um. Uh, he can still go fuck himself from my vantage point. But, uh, you know, is that accurate? I don't know. It remains to be seen. He's not really asserted himself as a leader on the court stat-wise because that's clearly Embiid. But, you know, maybe Butler just is taking a back seat right now. I don't know. What, what's your I, thought? You know, we're always going to butt heads on this. But, you know, you have your reasons, justifiably so. Uh, with the Minnesota background, but I, I love him here. I think he's what we needed, and uh, just even as petty as coming to Embiid's aid and pushing Jared, he's a he's a guy who can score thirty six when the rest of the team looks like lost sheep. They were they went down in that game, granted, but if he wasn't doing what he was doing, they'd have probably lost by forty, and. I don't know. I, I like his presence. 29 years old seems like a baby. That's, uh, you know, about people in that age range, but yeah, you know, yeah. I remember, I remember back in the day when I was 29, I seemed like a young man, but he seems like an old mature, mature and Jimmy Butler. Maybe I shouldn't use that in the same sen- sentence, but, um, yeah, as far yeah, as basketball, an moron. <laughs> yeah, as far as basketball IQ, though, what he's working with, I think he does finally realize he has a chance with these guys if he can get them doing their thing all at the same time. It and, seems like he's checked his ego a little bit. I'll give him that. Uh, he He's really checked his ego uh, because in Minnesota, he was very big-headed, and maybe that had something to do with the coaching. Uh, and, and I'm sure it had a lot to do with some of the young players on the team. But at the same time, uh, I still don't like him. I'm never going to like him. I don't care what he does. Uh, he's still – and I don't want him back on my team. But on the court, 
You can't deny talent. You can't deny what he can do. And he can do a lot. So, you know, but the Sixers' top-heavy rotation, Raptors are deep squad. The the most interesting matchup to me, TR, is Marc Gasol against Joel Embiid. Gasol did a great job on Vucevic, but now he's got a completely different animal to deal with with Embiid. So that one's going to be one we're going to keep our eye on. Well, my obvious one is Kawhi Gordon, Ben, uh, ben Simmons, who uh, yeah. I don't have it in front of me. I used to know it by heart, but turned the ball over like an infinite amount of times against Kawhi this season. Yeah, I, believe it was, I believe it was about um, 11. Yeah, they, they are 1-3 and three against Toronto, and the only one that they held a victory in is the game that Kawhi did not play. So that tells you a lot. Um I don't know which. I don't know if Tobias was here for for any of the Toronto ma- matchups. I don't, I don't think, think he, he the was. last game they played was in February uh, before the trade deadline, so I believe he was not here. So, but you know, Toronto again, they can send Siakam out there on the wing. Uh, they've got some players if they get OG Ananobi back. That's a big guy who can, who's a wing that can go out there and guard Tobias Harris. Uh, you're going to see a lot of um, you know the pick and roll. There's going to be a lot of wing players on that court for Toronto. Uh, you're going to see Lowry probably on Butler. That's going to be the matchup I think they need to exploit. Um, yeah. And they may switch Lowry on to Simmons, um, depending on what they do. I'm not sure yet. But um, one thing Philly's going to have to do is they're going to have to hit their shots. If Reddick's on, we're going to have a hell of a series. I'm taking Toronto in six, though. I believe the Raptors are finally going to get over the hump and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you think? You're you got your Sixers glasses on, but you're a realist. What do you think? See, I almost don't want to make a prediction, but uh, uh, the hope is that the Sixers win in seven, and once they get a win, they figure out, hey, we can play with these guys. And Kawhi is not Superman, um, but. Realistically, I don't even think it would take six, um, and it's all Ben Simmons and Brett Brown. That This is the series decision-maker for me. I don't want to hear he's only been in the league two years. He was, he's was he been in the league three years. He sat on the bench perfectly healthy because of that fucked-up regime uh, in his real <laughs> rookie year and traveled with the team. He could have been working on his jump shot, well, set shot if his foot was really that bad, anything. So he's been here three years. This is year four for him and and Brett Brown's had the bad, the good, the ugly, et cetera. And now with the chippiness and all that stuff you mentioned earlier, this is the make it or break it series for me. If they can get by Toronto, the sky's the limit. But um a highly mental team and even M B to a degree late in the game, even though he's a phenomenal talent, will make some lazy soft passes and just real dumb turnovers. Um Yeah. So I avoided that prediction, but yeah, I would say Toronto in five realistically. Then mm. that's, uh, you know, I I hate to say it, but you know, that might work for the Sixers' benefit because I thought the Nets might have a shot in the final game, and they lost by about six hundred points. So, uh, <laughs> but, very true. But then again, then again, to, to compare Toronto to the Nets is not really fair. Apples and oranges. But yeah, I think a few things before I get off. I wanted to, if if people are not watching closely, um, 
I stand by my prediction that all the time that J.J. Reddick has spent as a starter is starting to add up. And he, if just keep your eyes on him. Uh, forget the ball. Watch him in his minutes fight through screens and run as hard as, you know, the Allen Iris and Steph Curry type people to get the ball back and for a catch and shoot. Um, keep an eye, isolate your eyes a few plays on that, just how difficult that is before you even get the ball. And sorry, Diesel, on the background. That's an Austin Idol gimmick where, where the dog barks in the background. But... Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah... Um, Keep an eye on J.J. Reddick the way he has to fight through screens. And the, the guy's, you know, old. Old for the NBA, put it that way. So if, you know, he defies father time and plays like the J.J. Reddick of old, you know, they got a shot. And there was one more. You, you mentioned the Gasol and Bede matchup, of course. Um, yeah. And also the obvious one for me, Jimmy and Tobias are just, they're, they're going to be fine. Um but the other one, obviously, is just watch. Don't watch Sports Center highlights. Watch every possession and watch what Ben Simmons does with a Kawhi Leonard right in his face. And I'd be glad to say, prove me wrong. If he proves me wrong, go Sixers. But I think it all lies on his shoulders, his inflated ego, and Brett Brown. Brett Brown's job is on the line this series, um, pretty much. So. I disagree. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, If we matched up with the Raptors or the Celtics, I wanted a front row seat. Uh, I want to have some popcorn and see every possession and see if this team really is something more than hype. And we will see. Yes, we will. But, TR, man, it's good to have you back on. I know you got to go to work. I know you're a busy man. But I do appreciate you being able to make time and, and join us here again. It's, uh, you know, this is this is how we started this thing, and I'm glad that we're still going here. This is our 76th episode, so for the Sixers, uh-huh. right? Yeah, interesting yeah. number. Maybe that's an element or something. Could be. We'll see. But, all right, man, enjoy your day. Try not to work too hard, and we will hopefully talk to you again a little bit later. So, good talking to you again, and be safe. Yeah, have a good show. Later, man. Peace. There you have it, the talks of a wise man that is Tom Robinson. Quickly, let's jump to the phone lines. I know this number. What's up, Lou? Lou, are you with me? How about now? I have nothing from Lou, so... Have a problem with that? We're having some technical issues all the way around tonight. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, been a big cluster tonight. Still haven't been able to locate Tim on the line. He's called me and he's had some issues as well. So we're having we're working on it, trying to get everything straightened out. Hopefully, we're able to get this a hundred percent straightened out here shortly. But um, 
We're going to go ahead and jump to our next guest who joined me a little bit earlier today, and uh, we talked a lot about, since we're talking about the 76ers and we're talking about the Raptors, that big series is coming up. We got the Raptors guy that I know on the line from the score in Canada, Chris Walder, one of the guys who will break down the Raptors for you better than anybody out there. And we're going to hear from him in just a minute. Uh, But first, we want to hear from our other sponsors. They have been with us from the very beginning. There's 76 episodes in now, and they've been with us from the start. Let's hear from our good friends at cambay.com. Are you sick of the boring, same old campsites with the same old girls and the same boring content? Well, now's your chance to jump over to a brand new website called cambay.com, C-A-M-B-A-E.com. When you're on Cambay, whatever you want and whatever you desire is right at your fingertips. Be sure to join right now and use promo code WIDEMEN to get 20 free credits on cambay.com. Use those credits to go towards whatever your fantasy is and make sure that you know cambay.com wants to make you as happy as you can be. Be sure to join right now. Again, it's cambay.com, C-A-M-B-A-E.com. And unlike college, it's not going to take you guys 20 free credits to finish. So join cambay.com right now. Use promo code WIDEMAN and get your free credits. Well, joining us right now is the NBA News Editor at The Score and formerly from Bleacher Report and Raptors HQ, Chris Walder. Chris, thanks for jumping on with us, giving us some of your time. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, it's great to have you back on. and We're going to be talking about the Toronto Raptors, who, were, let's be honest, they started off a little shaky in the first round, but then four straight huge wins over the, the Magic wasn't really close in any of the games outside, maybe one or two of the games had a close call, but the Raptors look great headed into the second round to take on the 76ers. What what changed from game one going through the rest of the series there that made the Raptors kind of wake up? Maybe that first loss kind of opened their eyes a little bit. Well, didn't you hear the Raptors just don't win game ones? I think it's just built in the franchise's DNA at this point that they always have to drop a season of, uh, series opener. Uh, so that was kind of stressful at first. But I think at the end of the day, the better team won. I think Nick Nurse made the uh, appropriate adjustments. Obviously, Kyle Lowry you know, didn't even score in game one and, and got reamed online for it, although he contributed in other facets of the game, like rebounding, passing, uh, you know, controlling the offense. But I think in the end, talent prevailed. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam, Orlando, basically had no answer for them throughout the entire series. And then Marcus Gasol defensively. I mean, this is the reason why Masai Ujiri made that trade with Memphis to acquire him. Gasol essentially shut down an all-star center and Nikola Vucevic rendered him obsolete, you know, held him to like 11 points, 36% shooting from the field. Uh, Orlando was never really in it after game one. And in the end, I think it, it, it ultimately ended the way it should. We have the four best teams in the Eastern Conference in the in the semifinals and Toronto deservedly should be there. Absolutely. I think they looked great. 
Um, going looking at, at stats from game two, Leonard 37 points, Lowry in 22. Siakam had the huge game with 30 and 11 rebounds in game three. Leonard more the same in game four. Game five, Leonard just on fire. Siakam had 24. And, and Kawhi Leonard really stepped up here in the playoffs, especially uh, after game one. But, I mean, if you look at his stats from game one, not exactly a terrible night, 25.6 rebounds. Um, he had a pretty good game one as well. So Leonard is doing his job. Siakam has stepped up and played well. Lowry, outside of game one, has played well. Is this team finally hitting their stride to maybe they can finally get to that Eastern Conference Finals that everyone has expected them to get to for so many years? Well, this is the best team they've basically ever assembled and their strongest chance to not only get to the conference finals, like you said, but to possibly even challenge whoever comes out of the West for the NBA championship. I mean, we've seen in recent years, you know, with the Raptors going against LeBron James and the Cavaliers having, you know, strong regular seasons only to end in heartbreak and and early exits, uh, courtesy of the best player in the world. But now you make that move with San Antonio, you bring on a guy like Kawhi Leonard, with the credentials, you know, he has a finals MVP to his resume at championship. And you add a veteran like Danny Green as well. Like, these are guys that have been to the big dance before. And I think that some of these young guys, as long, along with Kyle Lowry, I think they, they understand that, hey, if we don't get it done this season, we might not be able to get a chance to do this for quite a while. Obviously, not knowing what Leonard's going to be doing at the end of the season. So I, I think there's a little bit of a sense of urgency on Toronto's part to kind of make this happen. And I think in terms of the way that the seeding played out in the Eastern Conference, if you're looking at Philadelphia, Boston, and Milwaukee, I think Philadelphia was kind of the, the easier matchup for the Raptors in that regard. And I think they're in a prime position, let Milwaukee and Boston kind of battle it out on the other side of the bracket. And I think the, the door is wide open for the Raptors to really make some noise this year. Yeah, and I thought that the Raptors matched up quite well against the 76ers. Uh, if you look at, at that team they have assembled, the Sixers, to me, are kind of a little bit of an enigma. They're a fantastic starting five. Um, but as far as bench depth goes, they struggle uh, with the bench. I mean, Bobon's played well for them. I'm not even going to attempt that last name. Uh, but Bobon <laughs> plays well for them off the bench. And Embiid's been hurt um for most of this season or most of the playoffs he's been playing but you know the raptors do hold the 2-1 lead over the sixers um in the season series raptors win 113 102 and back in december then the sixers get one at home on december 22nd and then the most recent matchup february 5th the raptors win 119 107 Who's the guy? Um, I'll say outside of Embiid when he's healthy, because we all know Embiid is gonna is gonna be Embiid. Who's the guy that they've got to stick to and try to shut down from the Seventy Sixers? Is it gonna be Jimmy Butler? Is it more of a Ben Simmons as he showed in Game Three what he can do, but he still doesn't have an outside shot. But that's a different story for a different day. But who's the guy they've got to shut down in this series to have a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, like you said, obviously Embiid is the ultimate difference maker, one of the top guys in the entire league. Um, but the thing with the Philadelphia 76ers is that they're so top-heavy. Like you said, the second unit 
uh, is probably not going to play a huge difference in this series. They're going to have to play those five guys, Simmons, Butler, Harris, Redick, and Embiid, heavy minutes to really stay in this thing with Toronto. I would say if Toronto can lock down Ben Simmons, like, like he's the key to the ignition, so to speak. He's the guy that runs the show. And we've seen during the regular season, I remember there being one game at Scotiabank Arena when Kawhi Leonard was on him, like pretty much draped all over him and forced him into like 11 turnovers. And we know Simmons, uh, you know, inability to shoot the rock, that's obviously going to play uh, an issue moving forward, especially if you keep Leonard on him locked in this series. But I think with, with Philadelphia, each and every game, one of those guys can, can go off. So I think it'll be in the Raptors' best interest to kind of keep, keep everyone at bay, find the matchups that work, whether you put Lowry on Jimmy Butler, maybe move him to Redick. I think the Raptors have the wing depth to make life miserable for, for those guys. Hopefully they can get OG Ananobi back in the, in the lineup. That's another, you know, long athletic lean defensive wing that they can throw at them. But that, that, that's the thing with the 76ers is that they have so much, they're, they're so top heavy that you can get, you know, 20 points from, from Redick, Harris, Butler easily any given night. So that that's what that's what should scare the Raptors in, in a way because, you know, it's not just Embiid that can bury them. That's very true, and especially they like to run that that high screen for Reddick coming on without the ball, let him catch the ball on a curl and throw one up. So you got to watch that. That move is is a go to for the Sixers, and Reddick's one of those guys that if he catches the ball in rhythm, and his legs are under him, he's gonna knock it down. He's just a veteran, one of the best shooters in the league. He can do that. But you mentioned OG Ananobi, who's a guy who – he's one of my favorite players uh, for the Raptors. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm quite the Pascal Siakam fan. I really enjoy what he does. But OG Ananobi's another guy who I liked watching this season. Uh, he recently had an appendectomy, and this is – I had one back in November. So, uh, OG, I feel your pain. Uh, I've been there. And it's different for everybody, these, these appendectomies, because you don't – you can't really get up and go. If, if anybody doesn't know that, it's one of those things where, yeah, you're fine. You're not sick anymore, but you, you've had surgery, you've been cut open and it's hard to just move and, and do what you were used to do. It took me over a month to recover and maybe even get back. To, and that was just me guy who sits behind microphone in front of the computer. I'm not an athlete. So, but it's different for everybody. What's the status on OG Ananobi? What, what are they saying after his appendectomy? Oh, well, I personally don't have any insider knowledge on uh, when Anobi is uh, set to return. What I what we have heard um, in general is that the hope is that he will be able to return at some point in the series. I think uh, Nick Nurse has basically locked down his rotation to eight guys, you know, with the starters and then Ibaka, Powell, and Van Vliet for the second unit. But uh, like I said before, I think against a, a team like Philadelphia with the wing depth that they have, the sooner Ananobi can come back, the better. I, I hope they don't rush him, you know, obviously coming off a of surgery like that. The recovery differs from person to person. and uh, But if he's able to go, um, it will be a welcome addition against the Sixers squad. Absolutely. And, again, if anybody needs any advice on what's going on with an appendectomy, I, I can definitely fill you in. It's, they suck. Uh, but yeah. i tell you what, once I recovered, I felt a whole lot better. So, Maybe we'll get a brand new OG and an OB. (laughs) But uh, Serge Ibaka, how Serge Ibaka fit into his role here in 
this playoff series coming up. You know, Mark Gasol has, has done a good job shutting down Nikola Vucevic. He'll have another task ahead of him in Joel Embiid. And I think Serge Ibaka is going to see some time on Embiid as well. What's, what's Ibaka's role going to be here heading into the second round against the 76ers? Well, the Raptors are going to need a big series from him. I think you, when you match him up against a guy like like Embiid, I mean, look, Embiid's going to get his numbers regardless who's on him, even a, a stout defender like Marcus Gasol who just came off that series against Vucevic. But with Ibaka, he can bring Philly's bigs out to the perimeter. He's got an outside shot, loves the mid-range jumper, can hit the three when he can. Uh, if you're put, if you're going to pair him against like a Boban Marjanovic, see that that's how you say his last name right there, Marjanovic. I know hey. some other people might have different uh, pronunciations, but that's how I'm going to go Mar- with it. Marjanovic, I like it. Marjanovic, yeah, it's not, it's not too know. hard. No, it's not that bad. Here every now and then, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Boban is one of the most plotting centers in the entire league, and I, I think he's going to have a rough time kind of keeping up with the Baca, especially especially if he brings him out to the three point line. Uh, I'm not expecting, uh, you know, world-class defense against a guy like Embiid because Embiid does have the height advantage there. But, again, it, it's all hands on deck for the Raptors. You know, it's at the end of the, it's six fouls for a, for a guy like Ibaka. There's not much depth, like big man depth outside of him in the second unit. So if he can get going offensively, if he can cause a little bit of chaos defensively and, and keep Embiid, you know, from, from exploding offensively. And I, I think the, the Boban matchup there is going to be a really tough time for Brett Brown, Brett Brown to counteract. So I expect a lot from Ibaka in this series. I think he's going to play a big role in how this, this whole series shapes out. Yeah, and he's actually surprised me a lot this season with, with his play. Uh, I remember you and I talked about him early on in the year, and we thought it was over and it was time to move on. But he's really stepped up. He must have listened. Um, and heard what we said about yeah, him. Yeah, he, he specifically listened to this, and he's like, yeah, I heard what those guys are talking about. I better get my act together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, hey, listen, the, the reach here is worldwide, so he knows, <laughs> as long as he knows. Uh, Norman exactly. Powell, another, uh, Norman Powell, another guy for the Raptors who's been playing significant minutes here in the postseason. Uh, he had 21 minutes uh, in one game, had about 18 in another He's a sneaky guy off the bench. Is he basically just stepping in for OG and Obi for now, or is he a guy that they the Raptors want to get into the rotation a little more? I think he's cemented his spot. Uh, he's going to get his playoff minutes. I think even when OG comes back, I think Nurse is going to find a way to give them both at least some sort of role during these playoffs. I mean, with, with Powell, as Raptors fans have, have learned during his tenure with the franchise, that he's very hot, hit or miss can be hot and cold. He's a very streaky shooter. But when he gets going, uh, it, it's not out of the question for him to put, uh, you know, significant scoring on the board. So, and we saw that uh, against Orlando. He had his stretches where he was really making a difference. And w- with an Anobi, you know, he, he, he can hit the outside shot, but he's not one to create his own offense. Powell can at least do that. So that's why I think regardless of what happens with OG, you're going to see a lot of Norman in this series. Uh, and again, he's another wing, and we know uh, that Philadelphia has Butler and Harris to deal with. So Powell's going to have to step up as well. Philly plays very physical, and they like to trash talk, as we're seeing from the Net series. And they don't care to throw to throw fist if it comes to it. We saw a lot of uh, very physical moments in that Net series. 
Are the Raptors ready to combat with that? Are they ready to? I mean, I know I know it's Canada, so it's the toughest country maybe walking the earth uh, because of hockey. <laughs> and if anybody disagrees with me, it's like, oh, the United States is t- go play hockey and tell me who's tougher. All right, and we'll come back. <laughs> but I, are the Raptors ready for a very physical series? Can they play that style of basketball? I don't even think it's a matter of having to like be ready for it. Like I, I watched that series with the Nets, and it was almost kind of disappointing in a sense because I felt like the extracurricular activities with with the Joel Embiid flagrant fouls that he assessed and the trash talk that led to like the Jared Dudley ejection and then Jimmy Butler getting ejected. I'm watching that, and I'm like, man, the Sixers can be their own worst enemy, and I feel like they can take themselves out of a game mentally in that regard. I think the Raptors are a lot, you know, they have that veteran leadership up top, but I don't think they're going to get caught up in all that hoopla. And we know that Joel Embiid, you know, with his injury concerns as well, this guy also has two flagrant fouls uh, points to his name. And if he gets another two, he's going to receive a one-game suspension. So I think they have to be wary of that over in Philadelphia, keep him out of situations where he can, you know, put himself out of games just for picking up overly physical fouls. I, I believe in when he said that he wasn't trying to, to elbow Jared Allen uh, that first time, and then even the second time, I didn't even think that was warranted for a flagrant foul. But you know, there's there's a lot of uh, very strong personalities with the 76ers when you're talking about Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons. I think the Toronto Raptors are going to keep calm, cool, and collected. You know, I think they can match up with the 76ers physically. They got the side like Marcus Saul. If he stays out of foul trouble, you're going to see him getting a lot of playing time. And Kawhi Leonard, we know that he's a world class defender. If they just keep playing the game that they've been playing all season long and carried over into that Magic series, I think they'll be fine. I think it's the 76ers that have to look themselves in the mirror and really analyze themselves and and make sure that they don't get carried away with their own actions. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I I believe that um, the 76ers are kind of – I don't know if Brett Brown has got all that ego reeled in. Um, Clearly he doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in that locker room that we probably don't know about. Uh, what's your prediction? I know you're gonna. I know you're picking the Raptors, but uh, how many games? What's the <laughs> prediction for this? Oh man, it's a t- it's a tough one, man. Like I feel like with these four teams in the East, it's a pick 'em. It's like a flip a coin kind of situation. There's not really. I know Milwaukee went through the whole year as probably the best team in the entire league, but I don't even think that. I'm not confident picking them against Boston. And then with this series with the Raptors and the 76ers, I see it going seven. And I think the Raptors are going to take it, hold them off on their home court. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of – I'm more nervous about picking this series than I was after game one, losing that to the Orlando Magic. How about that? I really yeah. I really don't know how this series is going to shape up. I think it's going to be some great basketball. I think we're going to have some awesome storylines to talk about along the way. But, yeah, right now, if you held a gun to my head, I'm going to say Raptors in seven. I'm going to say Raptors in six. Um, that's just my personal take on it. But, uh, you know, I do think we're going to see a fun series there. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fireworks uh, in this Eastern Conference semifinals. And with you mentioned Boston. Boy, they, they've come on at the right time. This is the Boston team we thought we'd see all year, and they've really picked it up. However, they're not playing a Victor Oladipo-less Pacers team in this round. So, that's going to be a fun series to watch. Uh, before I let you go, it is a basketball show, and I appreciate all your insight on the Raptors, but did you happen to see the Damian Lillard 
series-ending shot last night. Or did you stay up late to see that? I was at the score offices in downtown Toronto working the late shift last night. And wow. I was, I had, uh, we had like more to come alerts ready for the app, right? So we had one for the Portland Trailblazers winning and then one for the Oklahoma City Thunder winning. And I was ready to alert the Thunder one because what, they were like up, they were up huge late, like midway through the fourth yeah, quarter. They had, a 15, they had like a 15 point lead. Yeah, 15 point lead. Yeah, that was, a, that was crazy. So I'm, I'm sitting at the desk and I'm sitting across from one of my coworkers named John Chick, who everyone should be following on Twitter, by the way. And he posts a video of the Damian Lillard shot from 2014, where he hit the he hit the three pointer to beat the Houston Rockets in the first round with 0.9 seconds left. And he looks at me and he's like, "Lillard's about to do this again, isn't he?" And I'm like, "Ah, there's, there's no way. Like you win a series, you hit a series clinching three pointer once. It's what are the chances you're going to do it again?" So Portland yeah. gets the ball. Damian Lillard's bringing it up the court. He's running up the clock, and he's, like, only, like, a few feet beyond the half-court line. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a 115-115. Maybe he's just going to throw up a prayer, stick it in Paul George's eye. At the very least, it goes to overtime. The ball's in the air. We're all – everyone in the – there's, like, a, still a few people at the office left. The ball goes in. We just lost it. I – for the life – I've never seen – I mean, I've seen, I've seen Stephen Curry hit shots. I've seen LeBron James hit big shots. That might be the coolest, most cold-blooded shot I've ever seen before. Damian Lillard, a guy who's constantly been disrespected in terms of like his ranking among like the elite guards in the NBA, for him to do that, to close out the Oklahoma City Thunder, to wave to the Thunder bench, and then get mobbed by his teammates, I think it was an incredible moment. I told I rode off the Port of the Trail Blazers before the series. I actually picked the Thunder to win in five games. I'm a total fool. I regret it. Damn time. It was amazing. Something to see. Yeah, uh, the wave was the most um, brutal part of that. When he waved goodbye, I said, oh, <laughs> oh, because oh, I'm, no I'm laying in whatsoever. bed. I'm laying in bed. It's 1 o'clock on the East Coast, and that shot goes in, and my son's asleep in my arms, and I look, and I, and I want to – and I'm like, oh, I can't throw him, but my God, <laughs> what a moment! What a moment this was because you don't see shots like that, and it wasn't just a normal shot. I mean, this—he yeah. had the ball in his hands, and he knew as soon as he pulled up, he said, "This is going in." And as soon as he stood there, I said, "He's going to make this," because that's an all-time moment. Yeah, it really oh, yeah. was. It'll be a moment we talk about for years, but. Chris, thanks again for jumping on, and uh, won't you let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and your and who we should follow? Apparently, John, we need to follow, so throw his Twitter handle out there too. We'll throw him a follow as well. <laughs> well, follow my boy John Chick at uh, at Roof That Peach on Twitter. He's an awesome follow, and he has some great Instagram videos with his uh, husky dog as well, where he drives around in his car. I think they're hilarious. But uh, most importantly. Follow me on Twitter at Walder Sports and be sure to download the Score app for all your latest NBA news and catch some stuff that I'm writing as well. Absolutely. If you want to keep up with the Raptors, then that's the guy to follow, Chris Walder. Our man, thank you so much, Chris, for getting on, talking a little bit about the Raptors and uh, a little basketball. And all things go well. We hope to have you back on real soon, maybe talk about this series and potentially the next series. So I hope to have you back real soon. I'll be in touch. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. And Raptors in seven. Raptors in seven. I'm taking them in six, but we'll see what happens. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Cheers.
that was my conversation with Chris Walder from the score in Canada. And he breaks down the Toronto Raptors as they move on to take on the Philadelphia 76ers in round two. We've got a call here. Let's see if this works. <laughs> We've been trying to figure it out here. Hello, caller. Hey, how are you? How are you? Uh, is this Lou? It is. Lou, welcome back, my friend. How are you? We've been having some technical issues, but I hope we've got everything straightened out. Well, almost everything straightened out. I mean, you know, you, you could have straightened out game four with the call against, against the Nets and went Philly's way, but I know you can't help that. Well, you know, it is what it is. I'm not going to lie. I was pulling for the Nets because I hate Jimmy Butler. But, unfortunately, I think we can always we, we can look at it, Lou. Honestly, the better team probably won that game. Uh, that oh, yeah, but, we got, but still we got screwed. Well, you know. Game four. I mean, yeah, I mean, game four was uh, – if, if Brooklyn was going to make it a series, I think game four would have been their time to do so. Um, yeah. Things didn't go their way, but there there was some questionable shots there in Game Four um, mm-hmm. from from Brooklyn and uh, Philly. There, man, they're tough. I'm not gonna lie, uh, they're a tough squad. They're very top heavy, um, but you know they're one they're one team that I think can go far, but they're against the Raptors. It's gonna be an interesting series. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah, that's gonna be a little too tough. I mean, if it, with the exception of the Bucks, I mean, well, actually, the Bucks against uh, uh, the Bucks in Toronto for the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that's the two best teams you got all year. I think that's gonna live up to that. Yeah, um, I, I predicted at the beginning of this. I said Bucks Raptors. They're the two best teams. They're the teams that that really hone in, and I think those are the two best teams in the East. But at the same time, upsets can happen. Philly can get hot. Boston has finally looks like they're starting to put it together. Uh, Unfortunately. Uh, of course, possibly. <laughs> not a Boston fan, understand. Uh, believe it or not, Lou, we have a lot, and I mean a lot, of Boston fans here uh, that listen yeah. to the show. So. <laughs> yeah, bring them to my show. Uh, but you know you they're it. they're good people. We, we we love our Boston faithful. They're good. They are good people. As yes, far as they I are. Well, this, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I have nothing against the city itself. Just the teams itself. That's another story. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a very it's been a very interesting first round, and the East has been decided. The West, on the other hand, is uh, a little bit different. Things are changing over there. And Lou, I hate to do Not this, surprised. but I've got a call. I've got a call. Uh, he's uh, a writer from for the Daily Thunder, so I'm going to go ahead and have him on. Put you on hold, and we'll try and get back to you after this. All right, brother. All right, thanks. All right. Well, joining me right now from the Daily Thunder, and we're going to talk about the Western Conference series between the Blazers and Thunder, is David Brandon. David, thank you for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Oh, always, always a pleasure to have you on board. Um, Let's dive into it. Can't talk about this series, can't break this down without talking about last night's Game 5. Maybe maybe one of the best Game 5s you'll ever see, uh, no matter who won that game. That game was a fantastic game to watch. And I know you covered the Thunder for the most part. Um, What's your thoughts 
as Damian Lillard hits that shot. Oh no! <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I cover the Thunder, but I'm also like just as much I'm a fan. And yeah, yeah so that was yeah. Being on the other end of that was not so exciting. No, but no, yeah, I it can was understand. crazy. I, it was crazy. And, and, you know, there's been some debate, especially after Paul George's comments last night about how that's a bad shot. He says that's a bad shot. I don't care who you are, it's a bad shot. And, you know, a lot of people are, are criticizing him for saying that. But, you know, and, and I'm a neutral party here. That's a bad shot. <laughs> That's not the ideal shot. And, of course, everybody's defending Lillard saying, oh, any shot's a good shot if you, if you know you can make it. I don't think a 40-foot jump shot was the play Terry Stotts drew up I, in my mind. I'm sitting there going, you know, he probably could have drove, maybe got a screen, a step back, but I don't know. But that shot, if he shoots that shot probably ten more, or ten times, he probably makes three of them. Not a good shot, but it goes in. What, what's your thoughts on George's comments? I mean, I I think he's he's right in that sense. Like, and from what I was seeing from some of the Blazers people, like that that step back to the right side is not the way that he usually takes it. I don't watch enough Lillard to know that on a game-in, game-out basis. But even, like, the way that he took the shot apparently was not, like, his normal sort of comfort level. But he, I mean, he seemed like it looked like he was comfortable when he was pulling up. Because when he rose and fired, I was like, oh, that's going in. Like, you knew. Yeah, you knew. As soon as it left his hand, I said, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean... Is it a good shot? Is it a bad shot? It doesn't matter. Great players make shots when True. it matters. I, I agree with you, and that's gonna that's gonna bring me to another question. Oh, go ahead, go ahead and make your point. But I do have another question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> well, my next question is: There's been a lot of of talk. It was a back and forth effort towards the end of the game, as the as the Thunder gave up the lead to Portland. They ca- they crawled back in it. There was a lot of back and forth between Paul George and McCollum and Lillard. George seemed to have the hot hand. George was was knocking the shots down. He kept the Thunder's head above water for the most part. The last shot of the regular, last shot of the, um, of well, I guess of the season, but the last shot the Thunder took was Russell Westbrook running in and throwing up a shot. A lot of people are incredibly critical of that last possession by the Thunder. Should the ball have went to George since he seemed to have the hotter hand, or do you think maybe Billy Donovan wanted his guy, Russell Westbrook, the leader of this team, to have the ball in his hands, even though he probably wasn't the hot hand last night? You know what? Like, in that situation, if he was jacking from 40 feet out, you know, like I'd be I'd be pretty critical of him, but I think like in that he went straight at the rim, and I think like he didn't get off a good look, but I also think that they kind of swallowed the whistle a little bit on that. Like there's a couple of possessions there where it goes one way or another, and maybe maybe you win the game, maybe you lose the game. I think Portland gets the series still, but you know like it happens. It's basketball. Um, he 
him going to the rim there is a play that I'm completely fine with. Like he, he wasn't Jack. He wasn't pulling a crazy shot. He was going to the rim and, and that he shot his highest percentage at the rim this year, if I remember right. Um, which you wouldn't know looking at the reactions that he's gotten from a lot of other places. It's just not as apparent because his free throw shooting and his free throw drawing rate have fallen off a cliff. So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm fine with him taking that shot. I mean, like toss it to Paul George and then have him isolate. Yeah, you could do that. But in the context of where he was, he had a head of steam and he was going to the rim. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, and people are being very critical of Russell Westbrook. Maybe this is because I've always, there's been a part of me that's always liked Russell Westbrook. Um, and maybe this is this is my part of of liking him that's not as critical on him about this series. A lot of people are blaming Westbrook for this series loss, and they're saying, oh, well, he he takes bad shots. He's a stat filler. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't play, get the game right. He can't take a team past the first round, even with Paul George. And I think that's unfair. This Bla- Of course, we all assumed with, with Nurkic going down, this Blazers team was going to be vulnerable and going to be a team that, that Oklahoma City probably should have beaten, but yet they don't. So here comes the criticism. Uh, for, and it's mostly on Westbrook. I, and here, here's my, another issue I have. Westbrook catches a lot, and I mean a lot of flack from people. Meanwhile, your players like your LeBron James, who didn't even make the playoffs this year, um, a lot of your superstar players, you know, Anthony Davis, they kind of get a pass, whereas Russell Westbrook seems to catch everything. Uh, LeBron LeBron fans will defend LeBron through everything, and, and I understand that. I guess Westbrook fans are the same way. I just don't think it's fair to put this series and the Thunder not making it to the second round on Westbrook alone. I think there was a lot more that contributed to that. What do you think? Oh, I'm I'm absolutely in agreement with you on that. And though I do think there's a nuance to this because I do think this is the first year in a while that I feel like the Westbrook criticism is more justified than it's been in the past, mainly because oh, of shooting and – like his, yeah. Again, his I'm not trying to say he doesn't. I'm not trying to say he doesn't deserve some criticism because I think there no, is no, no. some criticism to go around. But he doesn't deserve all of it. No, by no means. No, it's basically what happened with Portland. Portland was able to play Ennis Cantor and drop him back in pick and roll coverage and basically tell him, "You stay in the center and stand by the rim and stop stuff as it comes in." and they were able to funnel guys to him in a way that he was not a defensive liability, which he is against a lot of other teams because they have lead guards that can shoot if you want. And I think the Thunder are way short of the shooting that they need to be able to make a dent in the modern NBA. They're built for 2008. Yeah, and, I just and I don't thund- think that they can do it. And the Thunder, I look at them right now, and... I really thought this team underachieved this year. I thought this team was was built to make it to at least the Western Conference Finals. I thought the additions of Schroeder would be a big deal for the bench depth. I thought George and Russell in a second year together would put it together. I thought Jeremy Grant would play better now that he's got his deal. Um, I was underwhelmed by Grant. He has played better. 
he has played better, but I was underwhelmed this series by him. I wasn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't really do what I thought he would do after he got that extension. Now he has played better overall, but I was underwhelmed. Um, and I and it almost feels like it's Westbrook and George against everybody. I mean, Adams is there, but Stephen Adams is not really an offensive weapon per se. Uh, Schroeder has been less than than effective at times. He's been good sometimes, other times not so much. What what is this team missing? What what is the Thunder missing? That's yeah. I mean, I think shooting is part of the answer, but I also think like there's been an emphasis for a long time on getting guys who are long and athletic and could defend well. And I think at this point, the league is tipping to I – th- I think before you could make a team out of an elite defense and a mediocre to bad offense. Because this year's Thunder team was, in the first part of the year before Paul George got injured, it was an elite defense and a mediocre to bad offense. But they were still winning games because the defense was so good. But you have to be like a top five or ten of all-time defense – to do that in the modern NBA. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Guys are too good at making shots. The floor is too spread, and there's no margin for error. So when you have somebody like Paul George have the shoulder injury, which he had, which I think is there, it's going to come out that it's much more severe than they um, let on to us. Then, you know, with him being hobbled a little bit and with Andre Robertson, you know, just – completely out. Uh, he's a defensive player. He doesn't help much on offense. But like, And then Westbrook taking a huge step back in terms of his efficiency this year. Like They just don't have enough offense to get it done, and the defense has to be like top five or ten to be able to get anywhere close to contention. And your margin of error is just too thin. So I think they need to focus more on getting some of those smarter, like um, like pri- prioritizing like basketball IQ and prioritizing passing a little bit more than they have, prioritizing ball handling. And they've tried to do it a little bit in the draft with like Sabonis. I think they tried to do it with McGarry, especially in the front court. Um, and then they just need more shooting. They really just need more shooting. They could run better. You, you can pick. You can pick at the coaching. You can pick at Westbrook. You can pick at a lot of things. But I think ultimately it comes down to this roster is not built for the modern NBA. Fair enough. Um, I think a lot of people are putting Billy Donovan on the hot seat uh, after this loss. I, I don't know if that's fair or not. But what, what do you think, Billy Donovan, hot seat coach now? Does he need to succeed next year? in order to maybe cement himself as, as a top coach or should he be looking for a new job? What do you think is the plans in Oklahoma City now after this? Uh, th- and this, I think this was a heartbreaking loss for the city. Yeah. No, I mean, I it was a gut punch for me. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm assuming you know this, but I'm an Oklahoma City resident. Like, I've lived here since I was five. Like, this is my home. Yeah. So there's a connection there that goes beyond basketball. Like, it, it hurts. But, you know, I, I, think, I think Donovan will stick it out. I don't think they're firing him. Partly, and this is going to sound probably a little bit 
um, cynical, but because they've got money invested in him and they are so far into the luxury tax, they've had the second highest payroll this year. Four guys under contract next year will take them over the cap. Um, they're just spending through the nose, and I don't think they can probably afford to hire another coach, even if they wanted another one. Plus, I don't think Donovan is the issue so much. Like, I think, could he do a better job? Sure. I don't think he's, like, the nexus of issues on the team. Yeah, I mean... I think everything you, Thunder always comes back to Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, you can always say somebody could always do a better job, I think. Um Donovan, I like I like the idea of him as a coach. I believe, but and and, I, and this may sound wrong out of me. I, I need more. I need I need more out of this team. If I'm a if I'm a Thunder fan, I need more because you know we gave you the benefit of the doubt last year. This year has been disappointing. Next year, um, they're not going to be able to really do a lot in terms of off season. Um, they're not going to have the room. The cap is as you mentioned, is is full. I mean, they were in the luxury tax this year. I'm sure they will be next year. I mean, maybe you get some mid-level guys or maybe you're able to to get a, a draft pick or find a diamond in the rough, a project. But as far as going out and just signing someone, the Thunder just can't do that. And that's that's a yeah. tough that's a tough thing for a team to try to do is improve your team without the allure of money and without the allure of of winning per se, and not saying they can't win, but yeah, this, this yeah, no, to the Blazers, it also affects their free agent draw because now it's well with George and Westbrook, they couldn't even beat the Blazers without their center. So instead of looking at it like that, uh, I don't know. I just. I think the Thunder next season will be a telltale sign of what this team's ceiling is. And maybe that's unfair of me to say, but that's how I'm feeling after this loss to the the Blazers. No, that's pretty much my read on it, too. If they can't get something going next year, I think they got to at least do a partial teardown. And I think it's quite possible – I've said this for a little while, but I I do think that Steven Adams is more available, is going to be more available than I think people have thought in the past. Yeah, I was um, looking at his uh I was looking at his deal earlier today. Someone had posted on Twitter about Steven Adams. I, that is a movable deal for how much I don't know, but I think that's a move that could happen to free up a little cap space to bring in one of those one of those shooters. And and I'm still not totally against Nerland's Noel. Um, he's a great rim protector. Now, he's not the best on defense per se, and he's not going to be an offensive machine, but that guy can cause havoc at the rim. He's not going to stop shooters, but if you have an inside game, he's the guy, I think, that can, can, can help that. And he showed that in this series the limited time he was in. Stephen Adams clearly a better player, but I think if you can move his contract, you may be able to get a, a good enough return to to help the Thunder and boost them. I think that's a, a movable deal. Maybe the only one they have right now. One guy I'd keep an eye on uh, is Joachim Noah because there's the Donovan, collect, uh, Donovan connection. Um, yeah. 
if they if they do wind up trying to shore up the big man rotation, there's the Donovan mm-hmm. connection there, and I'm pretty sure that they at least tried to recruit him last time. Noah's a free agent next year. He's on a minimum salary right now. He's probably minimum to biannual exception in terms of what he's worth. Yeah, um, maybe a little more depending, but he might take like a a get value back deal. He was solid for the Grizzlies the second he half was. of the season. And I don't know why he wasn't surprisingly, playing. Surprisingly, surprisingly, he was solid for the Grizzlies. I can honestly say I did not see Noah getting signed being a big thing. I was like, Joachim Noah, really? Who would take a chance on him? And then he came out and played pretty well. So uh, maybe there is a little juice left in those knees after the Thibodeau years. Uh, Derrick Rose proved he's still got something in the tank. So maybe these guys just yeah. need like two years of rest after you play for Tom Thibodeau, and then you can come out and like, man, you know, they're still pretty good. Uh, Not even just Tom <laughs> Thibodeau, though. Like, like Andrew Bogut talked about that going back to the NBL, the Australian Basketball League. He's only playing yeah. once or twice a week there, and he said it's the best he's felt in years. Like, the NBA is a grind on guys. And there's a reason that a guy like Bogut can go down to Australia and be like, I feel so much better. I want to come back to the league. Yeah. Because, like, the grind, you know, over time, you know, that builds up on your body. And the off season, you can only do so much. Um, so, yeah, I think that's part of it is that Noah had just been sitting for so long that he's able to, you know, he's got a few more miles left on him, a little more tread on the tires. Yeah, and, and, you know, people don't realize that the NBA is that sort of grind. And honestly, you know, maybe I'm getting off here a little bit on the subject, but that's why I think LeBron James is going to have a career year next year. Uh, Him missing the playoffs this year is going to be a blessing uh, to him and his legs and his career and not playing USA basketball. And these guys only have so much in them. And I don't think they realize that they run themselves too hard when they're young. And they got to save a little bit. So I think there's, um, I think some of these guys are going to realize that as they get older. Hey, maybe I shouldn't have played for the national team this year. Maybe I should have just took a breather. Uh, but we'll see. But the Thunder uh, out after the first round yet again this year. And that upset me, trust me, uh, as well, because I, I was really high on the Thunder this year. I thought they were, I really thought I had them at a two seed. In my preseason rankings, I thought they would be the best team behind the Warriors. But, again, you know, hey, can't get them all right. But uh, I like the Thunder this year. And I I can only imagine as an Oklahoma City resident, I know it's a gut punch, but I think the Thunder will be back. I think they will improve. Westbrook's shooting's got to get better. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, don't, I think the loss of Roberson was bigger than what people realize. That's a solid defender there at the two spot that you don't have to – to help with because he is a lockdown guy. I think he was a big presence that they missed. Well, even from a depth perspective, like they, they had to resort to playing Raymond Felton, a lot of wing minutes. Yeah. Raymond Felton at this point in his career on the wing, because, because like they lost Robertson, they lost to Brinus. We still don't know what happened there. It's it's mutually amicable still. And I think the Thunder would have him back if they could, but there's something there that he just can't play. And so between him and Robertson, like they were the two, um, they were the two other rotation wings that would have shored up the rotation for, and for the rest of the guys. And then you get guys like Deontay Burton, who's fine, and like Abdel Nader, who's playable, who's like mm. filling in minutes, or like Ahamadou Diallo, who's you know raw as all get out. But yeah. You know, you, you get a couple of those guys that have a little more experience and a little bit more to bring to the table in there. 
and I think that that helps you out a lot. Absolutely. Well, we've taken too much of your time, David. I appreciate you coming on here and talking thunder with us. Let our listeners know where they can find you at and keep up with you. And I know you do more than just thunder. I know you're a big uh, cap expert and things like that. And we hope to bring you back on and talk about the salary cap here real soon as we're getting close to the off season. Yeah, sounds good. I'm definitely down for that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at bird rights, R I G H T S N B A at bird rights, N B A. And you can find me on daily thunder very occasionally. Uh, I'm more contributor than regular writer, but I'll definitely uh, try to put some up over the summer on some moves that the thunder can do some agent, uh, free agent they can sign and uh, some different stuff like that. So, yeah. All right. Well, David, thanks again for getting on with us, talking a little thunder. And uh, I know that it's always darkest before the dawn. That's the saying that I'm going to leave you with tonight. So again, yep. the thunder will be back. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. Well, that was David Brandon and from the daily thunder and a very good cap expert, but I got a call during that, and I'm going to bring him on right now. We are dealing with caller Jeff. What's up? What's going on, Nathan? Ah, living the dream, brother. Uh, had some technical issues. Haven't been able to get Tim on this evening, but we're going through step-by-step step here through the show, doing all right. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Just been watching some playoffs, hockey playoffs, and the NBA playoffs. Ah. And yeah, yeah. Hockey playoffs have been pretty. very interesting this year. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Um, yeah, uh, I just quick update. To... I do want to do a very, very quick update on the current scores if you're listening in live. The Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets are playing their game right now, and the score currently is the Rockets 46, the Jazz 42 at the half. If you're the Jazz, you got to be happy with that score. Uh, if you can only get uh, – if you can only get that – that score down, like you're keeping them under their average, so you're doing a great job there. If you're a Jazz fan, they just got to score a little more. That's all you can do. Yeah, they can get it back to Game Six at Utah and win there. You I mean you never know what can happen in Game Seven? So I'll tell you this: um, if they win tonight, uh, Game Six is going to be very interesting in Utah. I think ultimately the Rockets will still win whether it be tonight or Game 6 or Game 7. But, man, you can't bet really against the Jazz in Game 6 in Utah. That is a tough environment to try to win a basketball game in, especially a playoff game. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't sleep on the Jazz. they got a lot of talent on that team. and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them send it back. I mean, it's very yeah, possible. Utah for Game 6. It's possible. They they seem since game four, they've kind of figured out where they stand against the Rockets. They've kind of found themselves, and they're saying, you know what, we can play with this team. We know what to do with this team, and they're really trying to put it together and get this to game six. I think if they could have stole one early, maybe have a no for if this series right now was 2-2 instead of 3-1, I think the Jazz have a big shot at winning it. But I think them being down 3-1, I think it's going to be tough for them to come back and actually pull it off. But it can be done. So we'll see what happens. You never know. Uh, no, no, we don't. Um, there's been a lot of fun series going on. Like, I know I know you probably saw the Westbrook, or the, excuse me, the Lillard oh. shot last night. 
Yeah, that's really what I wanted to call in on uh, last night. I'm, I guess, you know, you were talking to a beat guy for the Thunder there, and, um, or, you know, somebody writes for the paper or whatever, but uh, I caught the tail end of it. Anyways, uh, I just thought that was unbelievable, uh, the whole sequence, uh, Damian Lillard's performance last night. I think he had 34 at the half, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, something like that. And that was just about, I mean, he pretty much put them on their back for that half. And then, like, uh, I think he played the first 36 minutes of the game and didn't take a break until the first, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And that's when the Thunder actually went on, extended their lead out. And, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, when he came back in, they, I think they were down 15 with six and a half or seven to play. And uh, I, I was just amazed by his, his play last night. Uh, and just the final shot. Uh, it just seemed like he knew like he, what, what to do, like like it was going to go in, whether it was from <laughs> 37 feet or like he he just said, yeah, I, I got this. This is I'm going to make this. And they said after the game, I remember Paul George was saying it was a bad shot and he made it. Uh, well, true, that is you know <laughs> the it's not ideal. <laughs> right. It's not ideal. Or, but they said after the game that he was eight of twelve of 30-footers this playoffs, like 30 feet or more. Uh, he was 8 for 12, so maybe it wasn't so bad. <laughs> maybe he's just I mean, comfortable shooting. I mean, like I said, that's what's the odds of that? But um, I, that was just unreal. And then him waving bye-bye to him, oh, that had to sting. Yeah, that was and, – uh, there, the, that that kind of hurt me a little bit. And I'm not even a Thunder fan. I'm just like, whoa, as he waves goodbye. But man, that was it was what we like to call pretty savage, uh, if I can yeah. say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah brother, know. that was savage, all right. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was eight of twelve on shots from thirty feet and beyond in the series. Every other player in the NBA is six of thirty-eight combined on these shots in the postseason. So, uh, there's your Lillard fact. But what a shot it was. It was a, a Hail Mary, if, if you can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, but when you saw it, did you not think that's going in? As soon as you let it go, I said, that's good. They win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, he was, I, was like, I was like, he's not even going to try to penetrate and shoot it or penetrate and kick or any. I mean, he's just – I mean, he got down to two seconds. I was like, well, he's, he, he knows the clock's running out. He just that, that, pretty much dribbled that same spot and just threw it up. Yeah, it worked. I mean, I mean you look at what – if you if you look at the final two possessions, I'm looking at Russell Westbrook, who drives in. Uh, maybe Westbrook wasn't the hottest hand, but, again, I, if I'm a Thunder fan, I trust him because that's the guy. Even though, you know, through good and bad, you stick with your guy. He goes yeah. in. Maybe the refs. Maybe the refs swallow the whistle. Maybe they don't. That's neither here nor there. You can't expect to get that call, though. I will say no. that you can't go in expecting to get that call at that stage of the game. He did run in. He didn't pull up and shoot a bad shot. He drove in and tried to create contact. Maybe draw a foul. Didn't yeah. get it. Uh, maybe Paul George should have taken it. Maybe not. I'm, that's neither here nor there. However, uh, Lillard comes down then, shoots a you know forty footer, and it goes. And off to the play, and off to the second round go the Blazers. So again, it's 
you, I, a lot of people are throwing a lot of blame on Russell Westbrook, and just like me and, and David were talking about, yeah, I think it's unfair. You can't blame just him. You can't blame just Westbrook, just Billy Donovan. There's a lot of blame in that series to go around. A lot of guys didn't perform well. Schroeder didn't perform that well. Uh, Grant didn't play up to snuff. Uh, Steven Adams, decent series, but not good enough. Um, so there's a lot of guys that I thought could have played better that didn't. So, uh, But again, you're the Thunder. Uh, there's high expectations because you have two of possibly the top ten players in the world on your team. You're, you should be better no matter what. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to agree that with the people that it probably should have been in Paul George's hand at the end. Um, I mean, I know yeah, it's still considered Russell's team. Uh, that's probably why he felt – and Paul George was probably okay with it, I would think, him doing that, what he tried to do. Um, especially after the game, he literally hit that shot, and he was like, you know, that was a terrible shot. It should have went to overtime. And, but uh, – if I'm the yeah, Thunder, I, I, I don't want that game to go to overtime. <laughs> right. Well, if Maybe you're that's just points, Six or seven minutes left, you know, you'd think the percentages you're going to win, but that uh, wasn't the case. So. And Portland's a tough place to win. It is. Yeah. And I think a big thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is, uh, you know, Billy Donovan, while there is some blame there, and I don't think Billy Donovan should lose his job, and I don't think Billy Donovan needs to – be let go, but I do think Terry Stotts is a better coach, and Terry Stotts knows his players better than Billy Donovan, and I think he trusts his players more than what Billy Donovan does, and I think that's evident by what went down. I think Terry Stotts is just a a very good coach, and he's overlooked year in and year out. Uh, He needs more praise on how good his coaching is. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, He's done a tremendous job, and uh, I think the second round series uh, should be good. Uh, the Eastern Conference, I think those. I think those series. What is, is are they set? I believe. Uh, yeah, they're set. The, uh, Toronto will play Philly, and um, Boston will play Milwaukee. I really believe that those all both of those series could go seven games very easily. Oh, very easily. Very very. Yeah. easily. Um, I think Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee without Brogdon is is a little weak. Uh, Well, I won't say weak. They're more vulnerable without Brogdon. I don't know when he comes back, and I don't know the status there. Also, you're looking at Boston without Marcus Smart. I think they need him as well in a physical series like they're going to get here. uh, You're going to need Marcus Smart. I'm looking at Philly. Philly's top-heavy. Philly is a lot of starters, a lot of minutes. And while the starting lineup is good, they're going to need some good bench play out of some of those guys that come off the bench, McConnell, Boban, uh, all those guys, Mike Scott even, if you can get some minutes out of him. Toronto, they're deep, but they've got to slow down and beat. That's going to be the issue. Can Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka, and company slow down Joel Embiid? That's going to be tough for them to do. I think Kawhi will shut down Ben Simmons, who doesn't have a jump shot, so you don't have to worry too much about that. You're going to see a lot of Jimmy Butler in that series. You're going to see a lot of Tobias Harris in that series. You're probably going to see matchups with Siakam on Butler. You may see uh, 
some more rotation players coming in guarding Tobias Harris. OG Ananobi may come back in uh, this series for the Raptors. They may need him. But the Raptors, to me, are the deepest squad in this playoffs. Don't know how much that's going to take effect. But I, right now, if I had to predict right now, I'm taking Milwaukee to win their series. I think they win it in six. And I'm also taking the Raptors in six um, to win their series. So that's, that's where I'm going. But you're right. Those Both series could easily go seven. No question. Yeah. I think the Sixers are talented enough to win. I just I, – they're the Sixers. You know, how are they going to mess it up <laughs> is the question. Well, trust me, their ego – if their ego gets in the way, they can easily mess it up. And T.R. talked about that earlier when he and I sat down and had a conversation. So, yeah, they can. They could easily mess it up, but who knows? Again, it's, uh, it's a crapshoot. The Sixers could come out and be world beaters. Again, I don't like to do a lot of predictions or try to say what's going to happen, but I'm putting my neck out there, and this is what I think is going to happen. And if it happens, you know, hey, I'll be right, and I could very easily be wrong. I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so. Uh, the Warriors are going to play the Blazers, right? Uh, if the Warriors win, they will play the either Rockets or Jazz. Oh, Okay. And then the Blazers the will play, play the, Blazers. Or the Nuggets. It's another okay. interesting series. Long way from being Yeah, out. yeah, it's been a really good series, yeah. It's been a series that nobody's talking about, and it's been one of the better series. Uh, they put every game on NBA TV, and I don't like that. I want that. That series deserves to be televised uh, better because I actually, on, on this TV here, I don't have NBA TV, so it's hard for me to, to watch. And I really want to watch those games. So maybe I'm a little angry about that. I don't know. But I honestly do believe that they need to they need to have those games on national TV. The Nuggets and the Spurs deserve better. They're fantastic, fantastic teams. And I think you could see either one of them in the Western Conference Finals. Easily. Yeah. Uh, I, like I say, it's, up, it's, you're, it's a crapshoot and uh, as well as, as the Blazers are playing, I believe that they could get to the Western Conference Finals. Like, he, like you said, it it's so uh, it's hard, so hard to gauge right now uh, who yeah. will be there against. Everybody, of course, everybody thinks the Warriors are going to be there. Uh, wow. you know, the Rockets gave them all they wanted last year if they to make it. Uh, and really, I, I really believe uh, the Rockets would have won the series had Paul not got hurt. People to forget that. Uh, you know, I agree but, with you, but that's, uh, that's another story that we've went over and over, and I constantly agree. I constantly agree with you, but uh, again, one of those, you know, yeah. well, never know. This what, year, uh, I, I don't else. think the Rockets are as good as they were last year. Uh, I agree. I agree. Them losing uh, Ariza and losing Mbamute hurt them, hurt them more than what they let on, and uh, I hate Clint Capella's new hair. I hate that stupid uh, tip, that little white tip, that Hashim to be looking white tip. Looks stupid, Capella. If you're listening, get rid of that. Dumb. I hate, I've never been a Clint Capella guy. He showed Carlisle Towns up last year, so I, I got a little hate in my heart for him. But other than that, <laughs> what is the draft but, lottery, uh, Nathan? 
Uh, you know, I don't I don't know 100% yet. Uh, I haven't seen a date leak yet. I'm looking forward to it, though. want to see who gets that number one pick, who wins the Zion sweepstakes. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, but right now I have no answers. I do know the NFL draft is tomorrow, for those of you yeah. that are fans. Uh, and if you get on our, our page, we did an NFL draft pick them. We went through the whole first round, me and Tim and a friend of mine named Justin. We all went through and did a pick them. And we figured we figured we might one of us might get something right, but we'll see come tomorrow night. So we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, I believe this year that the bottom three teams all have the same percentage. Uh, they did. They changed, changed the draft lottery. I believe the, the Knicks and you know what? I got a minute here. Let's just go ahead and. Uh, Go ahead and just pull up the lottery odds here. We we talked about this before, uh, but um, just to clarify, they've changed the lottery odds some here recently. Uh, for anyone who is interesting or interesting who is interested, I do know that uh, the NBA draft lottery will take place on May 14th. So there's your answer for that. Um, I'm trying to see who has the odds here. Because I know the first three picks have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. Here, Okay, here we go. The Knicks, the Cavs, and the Suns all have a 14% chance at landing the number one pick. The Bulls have a 12.5% chance. The Hawks have a 10.5% chance. The Wizards have a 9% chance. The Pelicans have a 6% chance. The Mavs a 6% chance. The Grizzlies a 6% chance. The Wolves have a 3% chance. The Lakers a 2% chance. And then the Kings, Heat, and the Kings, Heat, and Hornets are also in there at 1%. The Kings pick is owned by someone else, I believe. Let's see here. The Cavs owe the Hawks a first-round pick. The Grizzlies owe the Celtics a first-round pick. It's protected 1 through 18. Uh, The Cavs pick's protected 1 through 10. The Mavs owe the Hawks a first-round pick from the trade last year. It is a 1 through 5 protected pick this year. And the Kings' first-round pick is owed to the Sixers, is now owned by the Celtics. So the Celtics actually have the Kings' pick. So the Celtics could end up with the number one overall pick. Oh, wow. It, but a 1% chance. But if that happens, goodness gracious. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Always that chance, it's, I guess. Always, always. But, Jeff, we thank you for jumping on. I got one last interview to play before I get out of here, and I'm running low on time. So I want to make sure we That's got fine, to talk yep. a little bit. And uh, I'll be in touch with you here real, real soon, all right? Okay, see you, buddy. All right, good talking to you, Jeff. Thanks again. Okay, all right, bye. That's been Jeff jumping on with me, but... Now we're going to go find my last conversation I had with Scott Agnes from The Athletic. We talk about the Indiana Pacers, not the way they wanted their season to end. We'll take a listen to my conversation with Scott, and then we'll come back and close the show out. So take a listen to this. (laughs) 
And joining us right now is Scott Agnes from The Athletic. He's a Pacers reporter there and also does the Pacers podcast and also a play-by-play announcer. Scott, thanks for coming back and joining us here again on Wide Men Can't Jump. Yeah, good to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Happy to have you back. Wish you could have been on better circumstances as the Pacers were unfortunately swept in the playoffs by the Boston Celtics. Um, but Indiana, to me, looking at the scores of these games, there was a few games that they honestly could have won. I think this series, um, you know, a couple couple bounces go their way. They could have they could have really made this an interesting series. Unfortunately, it just didn't happen. What do you think hindered the Pacers not being able to to get at least one game from Boston in this series? Yeah, you talk about one thing going their way or not, or the ball bouncing one way. How about the ball bouncing through the hoop? That was the biggest issue for this team. They just did not have enough scoring, um, ultimately averaging 92 points per game in the series, and that's three points higher than it would have been or should have been, except the Pacers scored something like 10 points in the final minute um, of garbage time of game four. Um, this team just didn't have enough offense. They were the lowest scoring team in this postseason, and that's ultimately what, what cost them. They really um, were in it in every single game. They had a second-half lead in all four games, but each time they had long dry spells. They had a, fourth, a third quarter that they scored just eight points in game one after leading by seven points at halftime, and so – you consider that that was their worst quarter in playoff franchise history. Their defense was plenty good enough hold, holding the Celtics well below their season average, but the Pacers season average was, which wasn't great of 108 points per game was 92. And you're not games scoring at that low of a level, right? Yeah. You're not going to win too many games like that. Um, the big key I felt, and you already pointed out the lack of scoring, but I put out an APB alert. I was missing Sabonis. Has anyone seen him? They put his face on a milk carton. He just kind of vanished in the playoffs. Um, he was not his normal self, didn't really step up and, and play like he's played in the regular season, um, did not play well in the entire playoffs, and uh, we didn't see much of that. What happened to Sabonis? Because, again, people were missing him all series. Yeah, I think this was what – it was a matter of Brad Stevens and the Celtics scheming against us. And they really did a great job of taking away his dominant left hand. And Thad Young's as well. Both those guys are left-handed. And every time he turned over that right shoulder going to his left, there was a guy there sometimes too. And so I think it was game three where he was 0 for 1 and had maybe one point in the game. And he's got to be more effective than that. He was a double-double machine during the regular season, doubled – uh, the amount of double-doubles to 30 this year that he had last year. Um, and so they were basically able to cancel him out, wipe him away, whatever offensive contributions he could make. Miles um, Turner was just okay on the offensive end. He's never uh, been a dominant offensive player. But right away, there's two key contributors who really didn't give them much um, on the offensive end. And so that was where a lot of their struggles um ended up being and so Pacers in games three and four changed things up a little bit by trying to bring out Sabonis to the high post and have the offense run through him while he was out there have him be the the focal point of the offense when he was out there he could distribute he could shoot even saw him throw up a couple three-pointers I think Um, but ultimately he just was not an impact player and I think this is probably a good reality check for him 
going into the final year of his rookie deal coming up next season. And obviously he's a great player in this league and probably could be an all-star. But I thought Brad Stevens and the Celtics really did a nice job of scheming against it and, and making him realize that he still has plenty of work to do at just 22 years old. Absolutely, and if you look at the plus-minus stats from Sabonis, uh, the first two games he was at, finished at minus 13 for both games. Uh, the next two games he did he did better. He finished at plus three in both of them, but for the series to finish at minus 20, not exactly uh, a series he's going to want to remember. Um, another guy who, and we got to talk about the elephant in the room here in a minute with Victor Oladipo, but I don't want to get there yet. I want to talk about Wes Matthews. Um, a lot of people were very critical of Matthews for some of the shot selections, especially in, I believe it was game three, uh, really critical of him. What do you think about Wes Matthews' performance in the playoffs this year? I thought it was underwhelming. I thought there were, he should have done more, could have done more. Um, he was immediately the guy that the Pacers tried to send out on the defensive end and, and send to Kyrie Irving. But realize even Matthews playing at a high level defensively, still he's a guy in Irving that's very hard to contain and really difficult to defend by himself. So that's why throughout the C- series we saw Nate McMillan and the Pacers defense try different things. They tried hedging. They tried double teaming them. And neither really worked, um, in part because of the firepower that the Celtics have that you were able to see Kyrie Irving create, and the other guys were then capitalizing off of that and then scoring. But in terms of Matthews, um, did not shoot it well. I think he was in the low 30s um, shooting the ball there during the series. Um, I didn't mind most of those early shots maybe into the shot clock. That was actually something the Pacers were trying to do more of, speed up the offense, get going in transition, and try to shoot quicker um, into the offense. Now, there was one in particular I remember late. I want to say in game three. It was in the left corner right in front of the Celtics bench, maybe three seconds into the shot clock, and at a critical point in the game. At that point in time, I did not like that shot, no. Yeah, if you were on Twitter, there was a lot of uh, WTFs coming up whenever uh, that shot went up. But if you look at it, the Pacers had a pretty deep team this season, they were doing great uh, in the regular season. They were poised, honestly, for at least a three seed. Then Victor Oladipo goes down. And we talked about Oladipo, how he kind of brought the team together in the off season, brought everybody, I believe it was down to Miami. Uh, you mentioned that to us here on the show. Kind of rallied the team. And Oladipo going down, they really lost their, their leadership there when he went down. What did what did Oladipo mean to this Pacers team? Was he that big of a factor for them? Or do you think maybe the Pacers were in their own heads a little bit? Because I honestly think they could have maybe gotten a couple games out of it. But without Oladipo, it was hard for me to see them winning this series. What say you? So there's a couple things there. First of all, I don't think they lacked his leadership in terms of on the court or within the locker room. There were several other guys who were able to step up specifically uh, Thad Young. I thought he did a very good job, as did Darren Collison, handling that part. Now, otherwise, they obviously missed his his contributions on the court, and he was the emotional leader. When they were getting down on themselves a little bit in this series, for example, in game one or game two, they could have really used him there to be the positive butterfly, as he likes to describe himself as, And, and those sorts of things on top of being the scoring creator that he is. But I think more than anything, what we saw was, that depth doesn't as much matter in the postseason, that what is 
truly meaningful, and we said this going in, is that you need impact guys, you need creators, and the Pacers really don't have any of those. Uh, Boyan even um, is a guy that picked up the scoring load with Victor being out during the regular season, but he had a difficult time getting shots up and seeing shots go through during this playoff series. What they needed was a guy that could just one-on-one beat his man, go to the basket and score. And it's one reason why Tyreek Evans was so effective in games three and four, because he is one of those players that's capable of getting his own shot, even though you have to take the bad with the good with a guy like Tyreek. Yeah. Another guy who, who you mentioned, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned Boyan, and I want to get to him here in a second too, but another guy who I felt was a little disappointing throughout the series was Tyreek Evans. Um, they made a move to get Tyreek Evans, and he just kind of underwhelmed as well. There was really no big plays out of him, and, and I didn't see a lot of of him maybe going to what his strengths would be. What was what was your thoughts on Kyrie, or excuse me, not Kyrie, Tyreek Evans? Well, Tyreek's been a bad fit from the beginning. I'm sure I said this when we last talked. Um, but it just I said this back in July. I said this when we talked. He's just not a fit for what this Pacers organization wants to do, and that's playing team basketball. It's move the ball around and not and get away from the one-on-one play, whereas that's Tyreek at his best. It's when you set a screen for him, he runs in the pick and roll and attacks one-on-one to the basket, tries to draw the foul. He missed all kinds of uh, layups during the year. We even saw some of that during the postseason. But still, he's a creator and a guy that can get to the basket. And I thought the Pacers – um, leaned itself on him there in game three and game four a little more than they had even during the regular season. And that's why he was successful and able to, to pad his stats and, and kind of keep the Pacers alive a little bit in some of those games. But ultimately, uh, I just don't think it was a good marriage between the two. No, it certainly didn't seem like it was. Um, and the Pacers now, they they look ahead to the off season. Uh Obviously, disappointed, but still hopeful that maybe they can make some moves. I'm not sure of their cap situation per se. I haven't looked into it. Um, but what do you think they're wanting to do come the off season? Who do they have their eye on? <laughs> who do you think maybe, well, I mean, everybody's got their eye on Kevin Durant, but who do you think Indiana looks at and says, you know what, it was a good try, maybe other than Tyreek Evans. Who who do they look to bring in and who do they look to kind of cement themselves around? Well, individually, I haven't done enough of a deep dive just yet coming off a playoff series, but a couple names that would make sense. I know coming off uh, the books and becoming free agents. I look at a guy like Chris Middleton, Terry Rozier Pacers. Let's face it. They're not going to be in the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes or Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson, those sorts of guys they're looking at and have to go after those tier three type free agents, but this is the current situation. The Pacers might have one of the most interesting um, options coming up this summer. They're not going to get the attention, but they're a team that could have up to $45 million in cap space. They're a team that currently only has six guaranteed contracts, and of course teams have 15. So they have plenty of rooms to fill, but they also have four starters that will be seeking new deals. You talk about Darren Collison, Wesley Matthews, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Thad Young. So in terms of their current guys, and I'll go with six rotation guys that are up for contracts, I think that Pacers could make up to two of them real priorities, and that would be Boyan and that would be Thaddeus Young. And one area I think they'll really look 
to upgrade is their point guard position. Maybe that's a Kimball Walker, and that's another name that would make a lot of sense for this Pacers team. Pair him and Victor in the backcourt. Have Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis, who, by the way, is con- uh, extension eligible becoming um, July 1. So that's an, a thing that they'll also have to consider with their cap room coming up this summer. But they have a lot of room to work with, and they have a lot of contracts to fill with just those six guaranteed contracts. So it should make for a very busy and interesting offseason. And this is a spot where I don't envy Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers president, because he has two important decisions to make. First of all, um, do you really want to um, – how, how much and how – much of a, a demand is it for you to get Demonis Sabonis an extension this summer? Is that a top priority, or do you wait until next season? And then also, in terms of their books and what they're trying to do with their contracts, do you run it back with much of the same group, or do you, do you go big and try to really upgrade the team um, with outsiders during the off season? Yeah, and there's a lot of names coming off the books next year. I pulled them up here. Here's here's some of the contracts the Pacers actually paid on this year. Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin, uh, Ben Moore, Stephen Hicks, Monte Ellis, Al Jefferson. So there's quite a bit of contracts here that are coming off the books that uh, really just aren't even in Pacers uniforms. But, um, but in reality, about upgrading... most, of those, most of those are really tiny, though, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, the Ben Moore. Yeah. Uh, very small. The the Stauskas was a deal where they actually got paid to take on those contracts, so that really didn't yeah. cost them anything, and they were able to get a second round pick in return. Yeah, and I, and that's one of those you know one for the the really the the cap experts to look at. Uh, I'm looking at Oladipo. Clearly, he cemented in for another two years, but I think the Pacers after next season are going to make him an offer. For, and I think you got to pay him. you got to pay him big because he's proven to he's be a leader. He's extension eligible this summer, in fact. Yeah. See, that's something yeah. you could do this summer. Now, I don't think they will just because there's other priorities, but we'll see if yeah. that's something Victor would really want. Yeah, and you know the Kimba Walker idea, man, I would love to see Kimba in Indiana. That would be just absolutely so much fun. I'm a big Kimba Walker fan. Or just fan. see him out of Charlotte with some other supporters around him. He needs a supporting cast, doesn't he? It doesn't it doesn't bother me he's in Charlotte. It bothers me more that he has no help. And that's been the thing that bugs me so much is you have this great player who's an all star and uh, you know, he's a great guard and nobody talks about him because he has no help. But yeah, if he gets to Indiana that, that would those be those things uh, kinda go those two things kinda go hand in hand for me. Charlotte under Michael Jordan has not shown any signs that they are capable of no. drafting well or going after a target to pair with them. So I have nothing against Charlotte. It's just what we've seen from them is that organization yeah. has not been successful in those areas. No, no, they have not. And that's that's a true statement there. But Bojan, I believe, is, is definitely the top priority this offseason for the Pacers as he was making $10.5 million last year. He's going to get a nice payday, I have a feeling. Um, but there's going to be some guys gone. Corey Joseph's contract's up. Darren Collison's contract is up. If they don't pull the trigger on those two, does it become the Aaron Holiday show? Do they have enough faith in Aaron Holiday to be that guy to step in? Like, let's say they don't get Kimba. Is Aaron Holiday the guy? Is he the guy who steps in and takes over that starting point guard role? Not as a, not as a starter, I don't think. he. I don't think he's quite ready for that. I mean, we even saw him who wasn't getting playoff minutes. He did get a chance in game 
four. He got an opportunity for a six-minute stint. Came in, was 0 for 1. I think he had one turnover and three fouls. In the biggest moment of his career, to this point, was not quite ready. Um, so, again, I think that's a, point, a spot where you either re-sign one of your current point guards, make him the backup, which I think that is inevitable, or you go out and sign a free agent or make a trade for your starter. Um, I think Aaron is capable of becoming a starter, but not, not just yet. Yeah, that, those stats sound like something I would throw up at the local gym. Uh, <laughs> that's why I talk about basketball and don't actively <laughs> participate. Um, but Indiana, you know, they're a fun team to look at and to break down, um, and a lot of great moves to be made here. Uh, and I think they're going to be okay. I really do. I think they're going to they're going to bounce back from this and bring in some more help. And I, and I think the Pacers will do great next season. They've definitely got enough interest from from players. And t- and playing in Indiana, playing basketball in Indiana is is almost like a rite of passage for a lot of people. It's not the big markets. But look at how many greats have come through Indiana. You look at guys like Reggie Miller and some of the greats of the past and the Hoosier mentality. So I think it's a big deal to play basketball in Indiana. Do a lot of the players feel that way? I think the reality is, number one, it comes down to money, contract guarantees, and this is for any franchise. Um, Then you look at the role, the type of fit that a player could have. Are they a starter? is the coach going to get fired in another year or two, or is there stability up top? I, I think the city means something, but not as much as it used to. Um, because even when guys are considering their brands now than ever, you used to have Paul George here who had a, who was in the process of getting a signature shoe. He was on the cover of NBA 2K and had mega sponsorship deals with big time companies um, like AT&T, for example. So that was something that people always had to, taken into consideration. So playing in Indiana is cool. Um, I would say it's probably a top 10 factor, but it's not a, a deciding point or something that's going to cause a player to seriously consider it, whereas maybe they wouldn't before. All right. Well, one last question here. You know, you mentioned Bojan earlier and how good he played and picked up the flack, and he really did do great things for Indiana. But Victor Oladipo is the star there in Indiana. Um how long do you think he is his injury supposed to keep him out? Because I haven't heard if he – should he be back in time to play during the summer, or is this an injury that's going to keep him out longer, maybe even to the start of next season? Because I wasn't 100% on how long he would be out. Well, you haven't heard because no one truly knows for sure. The injury that he had was very rare. It's incredibly rare for an NBA player to have it. I talked to three doctors the day after – uh, the injury once we had the diagnosis and it, it was an, I found out that it was an injury that typically actually happens or occurs in individuals 40 and older. This is not a common injury for professional athletes and for someone that's just 26, eight years old, for example. So there is no timeline and it's probably a smart thing that the Pacers did not put any kind of time frame on it. Um, he's doing really well. I recently wrote a couple weeks ago on the athletic about how those around him feel about it and how he, he's, what he's been able to do to this point. And none of that has been movement. It's all um, standstill shots, et cetera. Um, but he seems to be doing well. Of course, of course, the surgery happened on January 28th. Um, I think the best case scenario would be that he is maybe available come opening night, but I don't think there's any guarantees that he's ready 
on opening night. Maybe they'll hold him out till November, December. At this point, it's incredibly speculative because he's just not that far enough in his rehab to even see where he's at. Though we know he's hardworking, he's attacking it every single day and working. Um, but there's no guarantees that he'll be back, say, the start of the season or in 2019, this part of the year. And so that's also yeah. something that the Pacers brain trust has to consider. There's no doubt that he'll be back, but at what level um, will he also be able to make an impact? Is it a situation like Gordon Hayward and like Paul George that their first year just wasn't right? They weren't their old self during that first year. This new version of himself will certainly be different, but how different? That's true. Very good point made there. Uh, Scott Agnes here. Thank you so much for joining us again on the show and talking a little Pacers. Uh, Nate McMillan, coach of the year to you? For the league, no. I, I, I did have a vote, and I believe I put him in third in coach of the year. I, it was so hard to look past what B- Coach Bud did up with Milwaukee. Yeah. It was the biggest turnaround, um, most wins from one season to the next. Obviously, he had an MVP in Giannis, but there's so many things that those who are watching basketball league, like you and myself see differently and how much Coach Bud has been able to elevate that franchise yeah. that I put him as number one, and then I've been incredibly impressed with the Clippers and Doc Rivers. No, We didn't have much expectation of that team. They made significant moves, significant trades, and they're still – um, a team that had made the playoffs and has made a team uh, things interesting. But I, I could not overlook being a guy that's around Nate McMillan every single day and see the injury to Victor to other guys throughout the year and how they managed through it ultimately to win the same number of games as they did last year. So he was my third option. Yeah, and, and that's almost – if I had a vote, that would almost be what I would have went. I think I would have taken – Rivers at three, McMillan at two, and um, if I had an honorable mention to give, I would definitely throw some love to um, Greg Popovich for what they did in San Antonio this year, losing, you know, trading Kawhi Leonard away in the offseason and still, and then losing your starting point guard before the season even starts and getting a, a G League guy like Derek White and getting him ready and into the right place to be what they are now, and they're very much in that series with Denver. So I had to tip my hat to Pop this year, one of the all-time greats. But I'll have to agree with you, uh, Coach Bud up in Milwaukee's probably the guy who deserves it the most. This is the toughest award for me. I, I mean, I could have gone in real, reality, I probably could have gone eight to ten deep with this award. Dave Yeager, who got fired. Yeah. I mean, Sacramento's yeah. another team we had no expectations for this season, and yet – what he was able to do with that Kings group and um, were in contention, really, to make the playoffs for quite a while. They were the first team Absolutely. out in the West and nearly won 40 games. So I'd put them up there as well. Him getting fired was absolutely absurd as far as I'm concerned. But that's neither here nor there. I won't get into that. <laughs> but that was just how <laughs> I felt. But I, I and, and, you know, Steve Clifford was another guy who I thought did a great job this year with that Magic team. Low expectations. He gets them into the playoffs. Uh, good stuff there from Steve Clifford as well. So, a lot of great coaches in the league right now. The, the league is rich with great coaching. So, we'll see what happens as we move forward next season. Who stays, who goes. But, again, Scott, thank you so much for jumping on with us, talking a little hoops. And I'm glad I, glad we could talk again. And I hope we get to talk more in the off season as well. Let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and find you at on social media and your writings for The Athletic and such. 
Yeah, so all my work's at The Athletic, and then it's very easy on all social media platforms, just at Scott Agnes, A-G-N-E-S-S. So check us out, subscribe, and uh, keep on listening. All right, thanks again, Scott, and I really do hope to have you back real soon. Thanks a lot, man. All right, good to be on with you. Have a good one. And that was my talk with Scott Agnes from The Athletic from Indiana talking about the Pacers and how the season winds up for them. A little disappointing, but yet the Pacers still got to give them a little bit of pat on the back. They did a lot without Victor Oladipo and uh, just ran into a Celtics team that was turned on at all the right times. And uh, we do want to thank everyone for listening. This has been our 76th episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, checking out the show. And I'm sorry I couldn't get Tim on the show tonight. Just technical issues and we just never could make it work so our apologies uh hopefully he'll be back next week glad tr could stop by thanks to chris walder scott agnes and to david brandon for all stopping in thanks to lou and jeff for calling in and thank you guys again for listening we really do appreciate it and check out widemancantjump.com where you'll be able to check out our picks for the nfl draft i should have those up uh by the time you're hearing this they should be up so hopefully check those out we can check us out on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and anywhere you find podcasts. And we're also, our feed is on WideMenCan'tJump.com. You can check us out there. Thanks to New Law Office at NewLawOffice.com and CanBay.com, our wonderful sponsors that keep us going year in and year out. And we're keeping up with the playoffs right now. Good game going on between the Jazz and the Rockets. It's a close one. Uh, 80 to 85 last time I looked, so going to be a good finish there in Houston. Uh, Utah was trailing, so we'll see what happens there. Could be the end of the series, or we could be headed for a game six. We'll see. Give a big shout-out to everyone for listening again. Thanks again, guys. Contact us on Twitter. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, review the episodes. Ed Bogus does it all the time. He tells us what he He lets us know what he thinks of the show. He does a great job writing up a little synopsis there. So thanks to Ed for that. Thanks for everybody for listening in. We'll have more, probably a post NFL draft reaction. Uh, maybe some more stuff coming your way real, real soon. Don't miss it. Be sure you're tuning in to Wide Men Can't Jump, but uh, we'll have more basketball talk next week as we head to episode 77. And uh, who knows what else could happen on the show. So thanks again for listening in, guys. We do appreciate it. And this is Nate. From TR, from Tim, and everybody here at the Wide Men Radio Network, peace. Thanks for listening to the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com and at widemencantjump.com. Be sure to check out our blogs over at widemencantjump.com and also be sure to check out all the other shows that we put out. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast, also at WideBeanCanShum.com. Visit our store and buy some new t-shirts. They're available now in all sizes. This show is brought to you by the Law Offices of Stephen P. New at NewLawOffice.com and by CamBay.com. Be sure to visit CamBay.com and use promo code WideBean to get 20 free credits on your purchase. Thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wide Man Radio Network.